Welcome to Fandom Power. Everybody have good weeks. Oh my god. Uh, busy week is always around our house, you know, grandchildren and now that the hot weather is here, yeah. we are uh you know, trying to prepare for a uh, what kind of summer we're going to have. We don't know what it's going to be like here in Ontario yet. We just had the uh, the uh, three-stage plan just got rolled out yesterday by the Premier. Right. I heard you guys were dropping the color-coded stuff. They've dropped the color coding in favor of a three-tier reopening plan, which I still don't understand 100%. It must Short be hard when it's... Uh... They they just change everything every time. It's like let's, yeah. here's a new, here's a new, here's a new. It's it is um, like we talked about this before, and it's like you know you're out in in Nova Scotia, and a mutual friend of ours, Tom, is in in uh, British Columbia. Mm. It seemed to me like you know all or most of the provinces were using a five tier uh, a five tier sort of uh, system. Yeah, but I guess ours was the only one that was like color coded. <laughs> yeah, it was, I mean. Yeah, I mean, if it if it works, uh, it, it's probably just a function of people trying to figure this out in real time. So yeah, uh, there's going to be a certain amount of chaos. I agree. Well, they certainly miss some steps. Well, <laughs> I I feel the same way. Like here, I I have certain questions about the the way that they count the cases and and the and the way that um. I just have I have certain questions that'll never be answered. So yeah, uh, yeah. I just do my due diligence and I, I try to do what's right for yeah. people. And... No, you're right. Like I said before, I think it, you know it, if you take care of yourself and you are you know best practice. If you're observing best practice for yourself, then you're you're doing your part to protect everybody else. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's hard to, uh, and I'm guilty of it too. Like you, you get caught up in what everybody else is doing, and then you, you know you you remember that I can't do anything about it i can't change that so you know you kind of got to refocus inward and just look after yourself yeah there's a dangerous trend in social media not probably not the circles either of you guys run in although who knows (laughs) but there's a sort of dangerous trend in some of the like that one facebook group i told you about where that yeah that people are getting uh very restless and uh the right wing shakers are actually like getting restless in a very uh, loud and violent. Well, it's rhetoric, right? But yeah, yeah, they're they're rattling that uh, let's raid the White House lawn thing again. But, but in terms of yeah. let's let's burn masks in public, let's you know like oh really? And yeah, yeah it's it's actually it's it's I I hope that uh, I hope everything settles down because that's kind of crazy. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's going to get to a breaking point though. Well, that's the thing. Eventually, you know, everybody's going to get sick of it, but it's not, it's, it's life. You can't, you know, you have to adapt or. My biggest thing is the, uh, who, who the hell came up with the essential shopping list? Like, <laughs> yeah. Right that, now, I, I mean, can go to the dollar store and get margarita mix and chocolate bars, but I can't get my kids shoes. Yeah, and you underwear. can't go in and buy clothing. It's ridiculous. I, I well, don't understand. I, I don't it understand that. Like, uh, yeah. I didn't actually know that detail about you guys. Yeah, here in Ontario, I, it's crazy. And God I mean, damn it, West needs his plastic crack. Well, and yeah, I can't go into retail for that. Um, yeah. I'm still waiting for that Ezra to show. Everything's slowed down a little, especially Canada Post slowed down a little bit. Big time. 
And the rates um, went up, by the way, earlier this year. Yeah, and then I, I don't know if it affects you guys at all, if any of your the lines you collect contain aluminum, but the price of aluminum triples on June 1st. Oh, no. man. And I don't yeah, do a lot of diecast. it's great. So... It, 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 like just siding a building. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the price when you already have a cost analysis into like people to lend you money. Yeah. And you can't just go to them and say, well, you agreed on 250000 but I'm going to need 750000 now. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. You've got to figure out the other half a million dollars. Yeah. yeah. So that's going to kill a lot of small people in the industry. That that one stroke is is unbelievable. So you want to talk about strikes for a second here. This is kind of uh, first I should probably just say like for the people who are used to consuming us on uh, all of the audio platforms that we're on. Uh, hope you guys will make the switch over to the YouTube channel and now pick us up because, hey, look, full video, guys. <laughs> it's only taken us, what, eight, seven, eight months? Maybe nine. <laughs> uh, Closer to we're nine. still babies. I was counting I know, episodes yeah. the other day, like being a narcissist. And man, I'm super proud of us. Not a lot of people think about yeah. it. Everybody, you're sitting on a boom one day. And you're like, I'm thinking about doing a podcast. And all of a sudden, yeah. six months later, you have like almost 40 episodes. That's crazy. I read We're a thing crazy. the other I, th- I guess. I read a thing the other day that said most podcasts fail after four episodes. So if you've done four or more, uh, you're ahead of the curve. So Man, I feel really you know. good. Like. It's fun as hell, guys. It's, I it's, was trying to put yeah. some... Uh, put maybe some it's the marker in the coffee, now. but I'm having a good time. <laughs> I tried to put some numbers together for the uh, the business side of things uh, for our pitch, and, and I found some numbers for uh, the year 2020 that said there were somewhere in the neighborhood of like 850,000 active podcasts totaling over like 2 million episodes. Oh, sure. Which is kind of weird when they say in the same sentence that, you know, if you're starting a podcast now in 2021, you're still kind of on the leading edge of things as it's just kind of, it's starting to explode. Yeah. You look at these like things that the short format things that are um, really big, like this format, TikTok and, and, you know, you, you, you're hitting amazing numbers in the hundreds of thousands or millions on other platforms like people that have millions of followers on youtube or facebook are monetized and but you're literally getting billions of interactions on this oh my gosh yeah it's crazy it's actually crazy um because videos can be like looped like a 10 second video yeah that's right and people will like start reading the comments yeah you'll get things like a a view every 10 seconds if they leave the video looping and they start reading the comments right interacting with the comments yeah 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 the things that matter as far as your visibility aren't the necessarily the things that matter like uh likes and shares are are kind of cool but more interaction interaction like actually splicing into a video and joining into a trend or yeah or yeah, uh, yeah. you know that's that's way more the sort of thing and you are getting billions of interactions i i i got like i did a a baby yoda thing where he was just popping right gotta get used to that popping in yeah. and out of frame hello yeah and just to music and i got <laughs> like 1158 oh that's amazing just in 24 hours it's it's hard to tell what works, right? We like make people this, are chasing uh, that algorithm, but it, right. when, when billions of interactions are on the table, that's it's worth dabbling in that field. And, and, and visually, we, you can't do it any other way. On our end here, you know, on the studio side of things, where all the the post production happens, we've struggled with that sort of that thought process of like, how do we break the circle of just our own 
social media for mm. circle of friends and right, right. and we still struggle with that but i i honestly think that uh, taking this step and uh, going to a full video format uh, for our shows uh, is only going to increase our audience hopefully uh, you know the folks that are uh, like i say are on our audio platforms will will come along with us on this ride but i want to talk people people i know already just out of convenience uh, yeah. the older the older people like they're not uh, necessarily hip to the Spotify's and the Apple stuff. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of a lot of people I know, and because it's also you don't have to download anything if you don't want to. No, it's right. A there lot of people internet. interact with us on YouTube already. That's and good. They're just staring at a logo for three hours. So they. Oh, hey, I know, and that's look at this. That is the hardest part: is to watch the red circle uh, branding with that uh, parab- uh, parabolic uh, parabolic wave just over and over and over again and you're like if i just close my eyes but then it's like i don't want to fall asleep (laughs) so i hope this goes a long way so something interesting came up this week and you know what i'm sure this is something that every budding uh youtuber uh goes through um but our theme music so our regular fandom power theme music um as you are all aware is a royalty free uh piece of music that we've been using now since uh, day one uh, with, you know, giving full credit to the, uh, to the creator. And it's a, as again, as I said, it's a royalty free piece of music under a a creative commons. So uh, what a dozen episodes that we've had tacked onto. Uh, I would say we're closer to 14 episodes. Sure. Sure. So just this week, we got a copyright strike. Theme song which is kind of funny because it's a royalty free track that we have, you know, attributed full credit to the, to the creator and, we're and who issued the copyright strike. So we got issued a copyright strike by a music distribution service, I believe out of Germany. It's called dance all day, dance all day on behalf of a record company, which essentially is, and I guess this is a thing. I never even thought this was a thing. This tells you how ignorant I am when it comes to YouTubing and technology. Um, I didn't even realize that it was a thing where there are these distribution platforms that are going around and they're gobbling up royalty-free music and they're rebranding it, claiming that it belongs to a different artist. So in the case, what's the name of our guy? Uh, the original creator is Electronic Senses. So Electronic Senses, Spain. yeah, he's a guy by the name of Joel. He lives in Spain. Andy and I have both been communicating with him directly over the last couple of days, and he's he's trying his best to help us. Wow. Um, but this company claims it is yeah. the latest, hottest track by someone named Raven. The video has been uploaded uh, three different ways, three different times. And uh, so, yeah, these distribution guys are branding it as their own and they're trying to monetize these videos with a royalty free uh, piece of music. So we have a copyright strike against us. And uh, if you've never gone through the copyright strike process and we're kind of going through it now, um, the short version is you can appeal it or sorry, you can dispute it. Mm. But if the person who put the strike against you says, no, absolutely. This isn't, uh, you know, this isn't true. Then the strike stays in place and we're kind of, we're almost powerless to do anything about it. So um, sounds like you guys need an original song. So that's that is part of the you know how do you correct this is we we get a piece of original music that is only ours, um, and we go about it that way. Or as uh, Andy and I have both been attempting to do, we've we've talked to the original artist. We've I've 
emailed the uh, the companies directly to tell them that I know you are using a, a royalty-free piece of music. You need to attribute that to the actual creator on your YouTube video or you need to remove it. Because YouTube is probably not going to do anything about it. So that's my uh, that's right. where I'm at. Right. Um, have, have you reached out to this gentleman to see if he would like to create an original piece for us? We have not. That um, might be fun. And if he's still in the game, like, I don't know. I Otherwise, I know a couple guys. Well, that's interesting because that's probably something, if we can keep it in the family, in the uh, the fandom family, yeah, that would be even better. But anyway, I just, I wanted to get that off my chest because that's been bothering me for the last, uh, what, 48 hours at least. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big thing. Um, it is, yeah. I uh, I don't know if I want to say this live because the mo- there are a lot of them are hidden, but there's tons yeah. of stuff on my music that's not cleared, uh, tons of it. Um, but I, yeah. I want to operate. It's actually, it's actually born out of a place like the origins of, of, of sampling and hip hop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 that it was clandestine, and it was and it was secret, and it was an integral part of the music, like taking back the power. Yeah, and, yeah. And it speaks to the ridiculousness of the cost of music. Not that the artists don't deserve money, you know, but that the the machine makes so much more money than the artists. That's so that true. Yeah, I I have no moral compunctions with it at all, as long as I give credit. And yeah, uh, we're also not really monetized. If you guys have noticed that, you just go on my platforms and you can take the music for free. So yeah, you can pay me if you uh... want, but it's not really monetized. <laughs> and we're not uh, we're not big enough yet to actually be part of the uh, the partnership program with YouTube yet. Anyway, so. I mean, any money that was coming our way with a copyright strike in place is automatically going to this fake uh, record company that's yeah. claiming it on behalf of Raven and, and whoever so that, else. So uh, that Rick and Morty video that's attached yeah. to my song, I literally, yeah, yeah. I, I did some editing to it, but I literally ripped a Run the Jewels. I don't know if you guys know that band. They're a hip-hop band, too. I literally ripped their video, took out the yeah. audio, put our audio in, and right. did a little bit of splicing, not very oh, much. Yeah. And I actually yeah, yeah. posted it. Five seconds after I posted, I got a copyright strike. Sure. And then five seconds after that, I got an email in Adult Swim. The people who produced the friggin' thing yeah, the lifted, show. It, lifted it. They pulled it right out. And let me just have my my song for fun. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. It's cool, man. That's real cool of them. That's that's really cool. That's Did you guys really check awesome. out Modoc? Speaking of Adult Swim, yes. I haven't had a chance to look at Modoc yet because I was awesome. I was busy awesome. troubleshooting our uh, our video issues. Yeah. I, I ordered yeah. the three webcams, and then one came showed up defective and sent it back. And then, in a strange twist of fate, last night uh, I managed to come up with this uh, Logitech uh, C922 Pro Stream camera Whoa. for like twenty bucks. Stroke. Which we is funny because we were talking about Did that. I, and Don't go to my head. Did I speak it into yeah. existence? <laughs> <laughs> I think you manifested my destiny. <laughs> Fantastic. I wouldn't have it any other way. Mine's, you don't want, you don't want this. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, for Fandom Power, I'm Wes, back here again with Andy and Hank. I'm super happy to be able to uh, bring this to you in this format. And without further ado, let's get on with it, guys. It's... Uh, the Bad Batch, Episode 4. This one is called Cornered. It debuted Friday, May 21st in the year 2021. The runtime on this one, it's uh, 22 minutes and 24 seconds without the credits. This one is written by Christian Taylor. Uh, and if you're not familiar with Christian Taylor, he was the head writer for uh, Clone Wars for Seasons 4 and 5. Directed by our old friend Saul Ruiz. All right. Hey, you know what I did do this week? 
Mm. I didn't put the episode synopsis in. How oh, silly wow. of me to do that. All right. Well, it's a pretty quick synopsis. Do you remember what it is? Uh, I believe the Bad Batch stop off for supplies and fuel and run into trouble. That pretty much says it in a nutshell, doesn't it? Perfect. Perfect. All right. Before we get into the breakdown, I just want to... <laughs> Last week, we talked about where the show might be going, and we all came to the conclusion that we're going to the underworld, that at some point, there was just it was unavoidable. And we all, you know, kind of hit that, you know, sooner or later, it was going to happen. Well, I guess it was sooner. <laughs> well, that makes sense. That's that's sort of always where we've been headed with the uh, with the story. Uh, and just the, yeah. the, you know, as soon as we saw that first teaser stuff, uh, we knew we were kind of heading that way. It's, it's you know, a cool uh, choice of planet. Uh, we've been there before. Yes, we have. And it's uh, it's neat to see um, and not like less than three years ago we were there. So a big change uh, in the planet and you get to see some really cool stuff about how, the, how quickly the friggin' empire moves. Anybody who's been following the show and, and I don't mean our show, but I mean the bad batch uh, you probably knew this from the marketing materials that uh, Fennec Shand from the Mandalorian was going to make an appearance in this one. At and some point. Uh, yeah, she she's in the on trailer, the big trailer. She's at the beginning. on. Yeah. Yeah. She's on full display in this episode. But the weird thing is, they never name her. No, they don't. But I mean, you know, that's. I mean, we already know her. From we the know who it is. Yeah. But I'm just gonna get this out of the way right now because <laughs> it comes up later. Uh, it's Fennec Shand. We know it's Fennec Shand because mm. uh, she's still wearing the same clothes. She's basically dressed identical. Yeah. So there just was, you wanted to run the I numbers saw on that, that in the trailer. <laughs> like I don't know when the trailer was like three months ago or something or four months yeah. ago. I was I screen capped that and sent it to you guys. Oh look, Fennec Shand. I think that's Fennec Shand. I ran the numbers on this one, and, and I get it. I mean, she's wearing that outfit, so we, the viewers, you know, make that connection instantly. But uh, Bad Batch is what? The the Clone War has just ended, so we're, what, 19 BBY? About that. 19 BBY, and The Mandalorian is five years post-Return of the Jedi? That's right. So we're only about so, eight years out. We're supposed to believe that she's been wearing the same outfit for 28 years. <laughs> <laughs> it's her... It's her... Bounty hunter armor. It's that is true. No, it's true that 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 becomes iconic. So I I would buy that that's you know or some variation of it. I just think sure. that you know styles may have changed in that amount of time. Technologies improved. Armor technology certainly would have improved. Hey, droids maybe have been not around the same model of R two unit. Looks like it's been around. That's for like true. 2, years. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, droids are going to come up in this episode too. Fun, aerodynamic. Got a, got a fun little segment on droids for this episode. Yeah. All right. Let's get down to the the breakdown. Episode opens with the uh, Havoc Marauder flying through space. Inside the ship, uh, the clones and Omega discuss where to go next. Looking at a console readout of the system, they decide on the planet Idafloor. I don't think we've heard of Idafloor before. No, we? but did you notice it's sort so. of in just Florida mixed up? Maybe it's a yeah, I did. I caught that. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's nothing there. Maybe it's a veiled political reference. I just went with the anagram for Florida. I thought that yeah. was cute. It's an uninhabited world, which makes it the perfect place to hide out. But Omega protests, having spent her, her entire life cooped up on Camino, she'd rather be out exploring. But Hunter tells her that it's the best plan of action until things settle down. Oh, apparently my uh, notes make some reference to making mayonnaise. So here's a little tidbit for you. Yesterday I tried a little thing that I've never done before, because it takes me an awful long time to put my show notes together. Okay. So yesterday I actually tried to do it voice to text. So I'm just looking at this now and I realize that 
uh, in my editing process, I That's totally fantastic. I totally missed the line. Go back to making mayonnaise. Don't even know how that got in there. <laughs> Anyways, it's not important to the plot. It might be, yeah. but you know. had to have said that out loud, which is well. This beauty. is the thing, right? So the voice to text, uh, it's a Chrome extension, uh, voice to voice typing. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not uh, infallible, obviously. So you oh, kind of no, do no, have no. to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's at this point. <laughs> it's at this point that that's tech, cool. uh, tech interjects, mentioning that they won't. Oh, you know what? That's what it is. So um, there's a whole thing about they realize that uh, with the war. Oh. Where'd you go, Hank? That's going to happen. That's going to occasionally happen when I no, that's okay. interact with my uh, face and, There's... And, and the cord hanging from my head. Ah, uh, gotcha. It's the moment where they talk about uh, being out of supplies. Uh, no food, no rations, uh, and almost no fuel. So they, they can't hide out and they cannot uh, uh, get rations or fuel on Idaflor because it is uninhabited. So uh, the reality is that with the collapse of the Republic, they're on their own. So to make matters worse, Echo reveals that the ship is now on a wanted list. Tech in his tech obviousness uh, says that he'll need to scramble the ship's signature. Wrecker asks if you can do that. And Tech replies, naturally, but we'll need to land in order to do it. Looking again at the galactic map, Tech determines that the closest planet that could facilitate the modification is the world of Pantora. And as we just talked about, we've been to Pantora before, back in the Clone Wars. Heck yeah. Did Pantora look as much like Moscow in the Clone Wars as it does in this episode? It did, but it was sort of a lot. I think we visited probably the capital. Maybe. Recall, we were dealing with the royal family. So yeah. This is like a... You know, as you approach this place, it's it's it reminds me of a bigger Moss Eisley. Um, I got and, that vibe too, with the sunken sort of recessed docking bay, and also a lot like heavily influenced, like by Coruscant. So it, it felt like sort of the um, the indigenous peoples were, uh, yeah. you know, uh, analogous to that that Russian architecture. So they could be analogous yeah. to Russians. Uh, there's another little Russian thing soon, like uh, an Orabash, actually. But so, and then it kind of looks like a mesh of, of that classic Russian, you know, stuff with that architecture stuff and yeah. uh, about the size of a large Moss Eisley. It's surround. It's in a yeah, desert, but surrounded by mountains. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's in so, a, in a valley. Yeah. It's beautiful. You know, not a different level of technology, but certainly a different, you know, maybe a port city, a different, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. like, you know, Halifax, very different city than say Toronto. Um, in the Mandalorian, when they were that scene, I can't remember what episode it is when they're coming back into Navarro for the second time, and it's a high up shot, and you can see Navarro how it's a, it's circular, and you can see the concentric rings of of streets kind of winding out. Right, there's a similar vibe as the Havoc Marauder kind of floats over the valley, and you get a yeah. sense of it's it's also a round, kind of circular city. Yeah, it's a neat trend because like, uh, uh, places that are established after having been galactically traveled, you know, like, like having yeah. that sort of information in your skill set, uh, you would start to build things in orbits and circles and things that make a lot more sense than squares, triangles, grid lines, no, stuff no, of like course. that. So, uh, Pantora, for those of you who don't know, it's, uh, the primary moon of a world called Orto, uh, Plutomia, a frigid ice world in the outer rim, once believed to be uninhabited, but as we discovered in the Clone Wars, 
turned out to be the homeworld of the Tals species. There's that Ordo again. Yeah, but this is a different spelling though. This is, so instead of like or uh, O R D O, this one is O R T O, and I don't know if that's oh, just Orto. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I don't know if that's just a semantic thing or uh, if there's an actual. Or if they're just going down the list. Maybe. <laughs> Eventually they'll get to Orco. Really? We ran oh. out of Orco, Orco, well, that belongs Ori- to someone Oreo? else. We can't use that. No. <laughs> yeah, so after a brief war with the... Uh, sorry, talk about the Tals for a second. Tals, if you remember, they're uh, white furry dudes with yeah. the kind of proboscis-looking thing sticking out of their face, I guess. So after a brief war with the Pantorans, uh, Ordo Plutonia granted... Uh, um, it's sovereignty. So Pantorans, Pantorans, we've seen them before. Uh, Pantorans introduced back in Star Wars Attack of the Clones, if you remember the scene at the Opera House when Anakin's going up uh, to visit with Palpatine. We see uh, Baron Papanoida yeah. standing on the uh, steps with his daughter. And of course, by now, most of you, or I should think everybody knows that that was uh, the creator himself, George Lucas, and his daughter, Katie Lucas. As the clones move away from the console, Omega uh, stares at the view screen. She utters, Pantora? Or Pantora it is, with a sense of wonder as she leans in closer to the display. I didn't catch the Orabesh there, but underneath the Pantora, yep. there's a little, like a scrolling mess of uh, different Orabesh. There is. It's, there's, a, there's a whole other thing, too, about sort of the galactic location. like, And, and it's not really an important detail, but, I mean, we can all look it up and know that, that Pantor is in the Outer Rim. But if you didn't know that, the, the amount of time that they spend sort of looking at the galactic sort of the coordinates, you can see they, they're on Ida floor and then the, the screen pans down and it goes to uh, Pantora. There's a cool scene. It's sort of there where they're... The camera angle is perpendicular to that screen, but yeah. maybe on a ten or fifteen degree angle, so you can only see a little bit of it. Yeah, but they're they're actually scrolling through the the galaxy. That's yeah, that's exactly it's what just, I'm talking about. Yeah, and it, you could see the, like the one of the arcs, like it peels in. It's it's really cool. I just really assume, really cool. I assume the 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 lines to be sort of like the hyperspace lanes, right? Oh, like the very cool. the known yeah, that's map a neat ones. assumption. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I love the look of this city. I'm, I was trying to remember, like back to Clone Wars, did we did we see Pantor? I'm I'm calling it Pantora City because I don't know what else to call it. Um, right? Did we see it this way, like that color palette with the golds and the reds? Like it just was so vibrant. And I remember it having like a some more blues and stuff. Like certainly, yeah. I don't remember uh, the little pink flowers that are everywhere here. Like almost yeah. like weeds that yeah, growing yeah, yeah. over the sides of the. Uh, the landing bay and stuff. Uh, I don't recall that stuff from no. from Pandora. Maybe the blues and whatnot of the original were more significant of like, you know, they're in wartime, whatever. And now we're in vibrant because we're now technically post-war. Mm. And I don't know, on the upswing. Maybe. This is certainly the a very similar, especially later on in the episodes, a very similar palette, even uh, auditorially, you know, oh, like sonically, I guess. Uh, as uh, Attack of the Clones and that stuff from the bowels yeah. of Coruscant, the, the yellows and the pinks, um, you know, uh, certainly the rush of traffic is, is uh, you can actually go back, I did, and listen to Attack of the Clones and they oh, just yeah. Yeah, essentially yeah, yeah. sampled those sounds and put them in. That whole speeder chase, you know, is so evocative of, you know, chasing Zam 
Yeah. Oh, uh, there's some, there's I some, some actual cool, there's some stuff where uh, uh, Omega and Luke Skywalker track. Uh, oh, wow. Too. It's really cool. Actually, I'm going to go on the record. I'm going to say that uh, Pantora might just be my favorite uh, urban Star Wars location yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just peppered. I just love there's the look a, of it. There's one. I got to go early on it. I got a lot of the Orabash. Uh, oh, Hall, sweet. But, um, there's a lot of numbers in this, so I didn't really mess muck with the numbers much. But I got a lot. There's a place called Ivan's Wampa House. Oh, cool. And it seems to be maybe it's even a chain because it's it appears a lot. Oh, And really? it's in an arch. It's yeah. Ivan's Wampa House. So there's yeah, another cool. Ivan being a sort of a traditional Russian name. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even the, you know, the, uh, later on in the episode, when we see the, uh, the Pantoran security forces or the Pantoran police, as I call them, they've kind of got that low kind of furry kind of, I don't know what you call it. Like a, like a Bolshevik cap. That's I right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Kind of leans into that sort of ancient Russian kind of, there bizarre, is a, there is some Orbesh that says, uh, authority Pantoran police, a big oh, sign cool. that says oh, it authority is Pant- okay. Pantoran police. police. So we see this uh, recessed docking bay and the uh, Havoc Marauder kind of nestles in. And as the ship lands, there is a Sulliston, a security manager who goes out to meet them. Uh, Wrecker and Tech uh, banter on about being out of rations. And Tech reminds him that the priority is scrambling the ship's signature key. So I thought it was cool that we're putting the we're mixing the teams up because we've seen a lot of yeah. tech and, and echo together. Almost That's right. Two, two episodes full of. Them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's nice to like that. They're. You know they they work in opposite pairs, and then yep, uh, I do find that Tech and Wrecker have a real or yeah, um, yeah, Tech and Wrecker they have a nice head to head actually. They it's do they fun. they uh, their dynamic is considerably different. Where like you know where Tech and Echo may be competing for you know with similar skill sets. Yeah, I agree. You know yeah. Wrecker Wrecker and Tech are so far apart that there's no. There's, you know, that friendly competition that's just not there like it might be with the other two. Yeah, it's kind of cool. The security manager asks if they're there to make repairs and tech replies that it's just a minor calibration. And the Sulliston tells them uh, to have at it. He just needs to scan their ship in. The wrecker blocks the security manager and asks him, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> Which I thought was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Taking the hint, the security manager foregoes the scan, offering to accept a bribe instead. But the clones don't immediately understand what the security manager is asking for, and they just try to push past him without paying. Uh, but the Sulliston quickly educates them by holding at his outstretched hand. <laughs> he needs incentive. Yeah. Tech pays the manager and Wrecker remarks, We're getting the hang of this civilian thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I just find it's... Super cool that, you know, we've talked about sort of the, you know, Wrecker has a childlike innocence. And I guess on some level that it's extending to the the whole, the Bad Batch in general in the sense that, you know, they're so, this is, this is life without a supporting government. This is life without a supporting military. And, to really and- be, to really be out on their own like this, you know, I said it like this in my notes. I'm like, as skilled as they are militarily. Uh, their street smarts just aren't there yet. And it's meant to be analogous of any clone that breaks through the, the, the programming. Like how, how, how would they interact with monetary systems? Like they were just handed food. They were handed ammo. They were handed fuel. Yeah. So they, that they, they, you know, it's, it's perfect. Like they're all, they're all essentially Omega's age, right? Like, yeah. cool, you know, 
Literally. Learning. <laughs> yeah. So the Sullivan security manager, he returns back to his office and immediately goes to a computer terminal. Triggering a con link, he sends a nefarious-sounding message to an unseen recipient, identifying himself as Raspar6 at Rose Station. So apparently this is Rose Station. Uh, cool little uh, nugget here. There's a Starship model on the desk. Did everybody catch that? No. no. Yeah, there's a model. It's a Legends model. And it's the Lady Luck, Lando Calrissian's yeah, uh, pleasure. I missed yeah. that one. Good, yeah, good just a little crap. ship model on the uh, on the desk. Nicely done. We switch over to an exterior shot of a starship in space. It's a class of ship that I don't think we've seen before, and it resembles a Jawa sandcrawler with large engines and what appear to be folding wings uh, that are similar to that of a First Order shuttle. Yeah, it's a really nice-looking ship, actually. You know, I thought about this uh, last night, and you know what? I wonder if it's the same class of ship as the uh, Hound's Tooth as oh. Bosk's ship. It's very oh. similar. You know, Hound's Tooth has a similar, when I say like a like a sand crawler in space. So that might lead into a theory I have to talk about towards the end then. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Actually, I didn't. That's really cool. Yeah, the it was the folding wings, like the the folding wings, how they're, they don't fold all the way down. It reminded me of that First Order kind of deal where they just fold up but the houndstooth has very different looking wings but that's not to say that they couldn't be the same class of ship right they're all shopping at bounty hunters are i guess (laughs) inside the shuttle we can hear the rest of the message that's being shuttle inside the ship we can hear the rest of the message uh that's sent from raspar six the voice continues word is you're looking for a certain modified omicron class attack shuttle and a helmeted figure turns toward a computer console, and we can see that it is Fennec Shand. The security uh, manager goes on Sellers to say... Sellers guy was uh, voiced by Tyrion Cullen from uh, oh. Saturday Night Live. Oh, he does nice. The, he does the news on Saturday Night Live lately. I did not know that. I'm pretty I'm pretty far apart from SNL these days. I, so I couldn't a, tell there's you. There's a couple. like uh, Bobby Moynihan does the Malastare character's voice. Oh, oh so yeah. So you start yeah, to yeah, go, yeah. Uh, you know, like uh, Bill Hader did the uh, voice of BB-8. and uh, right. Uh, I can't recall the gentleman that was uh, in uh, the Mandalorian playing the biker scout. We were starting to see a huge oh, right, right. Uh, influx yeah. of uh, SNL SNL really, alumni. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're all Star Wars nerds. It's kind of cool, yeah. So yes. <laughs> he goes on to say that uh, I might know where to find it, but that information is going to cost you. And Fennec Shan replies, I'll make it worth your while. Transmit the coordinates and don't let them leave. She stares at a hologram of Omega for a brief moment and then launches her ship into hyperspace. So, yeah, and this is the part of my notes where I'm like, wait, am I supposed to believe she's been wearing the same clothes for 28 years? (laughs) (laughs) Back on Pantora, Wrecker and Tech go about unloading supplies from the Havoc Marauder while Hunter, Echo and Omega prepare to head out into the city. Wrecker protests the selling of their last explosive, but Hunter asserts that it's the only thing worth any money, and if they want to eat, that's what has to happen. Continuing his protest, Wrecker asks why does he and Tech have to do all the repairs while the rest of them get to go sightseeing? And at the word sightseeing, Omega perks up and says, Sightseeing? But Hunter quickly reins her in with a, no, no, this is a supply run. Exactly. Uh, that they want to get in and out quickly and quietly. Um, and Echo chimes in, yeah, 
and you stick out too much. <laughs> there's there's a trend here happening. It's the fourth episode, but I'm already noticing a trend of them constantly planning to do things quickly and quietly and having it just, and it just go absolutely the go. opposite way every time. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. So uh, interesting little moment here in the show. I really like this because long before uh, this is my first watch through, I see them get off the ship and I see tech and I go immediately. Oh, he's dressed like a droid. Having no idea that that's going to come up later in the episode. Uh, so props to whoever came up with that look for him. It is super cool. Yeah. And right. I hope he uses it again. It, it, I was thinking that I had a strange thought while I was watching that scene about his, his errant arm. That's now a yeah. scomp link. Uh, and that how much pre- like, so since we know the star Wars and we know droids and we know, uh, uh, changing appendages and, you know, we yeah. know what they can do with that. That's right. It's more practical for him to have a scomp link as a hand than a hand. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's just kind of cool. Like in, in the Star Wars world, yeah, it's more practical to have a scomp link than a he's. <laughs> I see him and I immediately think of, you know, he's our cyberpunk guy. Heavy. You know, yeah, absolutely. It's totally what he is. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the, the partial conversion Borg if we're talking rifts or, you know, any other number of like uh, uh, no, dystopian absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, archetypes, right? But I love it. I totally do. Oh, man. As the clones depart for their supply run, the security manager peers out from his office with a sinister grin. We then switch to an exterior shot of a street market. The city streets are bustling, and there's an eclectic mix of humans, near humans, and Pantorans going about their business. And Omega takes everything in with a sense of bewilderment. So I got a couple of... uh, couple of Easter eggs I kind of picked out of the, uh, and this is sort of generalized when it comes to sort of the, the street view, whether it's here or later on through the episode, because it keeps coming back. One thing is uh, nice to know. We talked about invasive species last week. <laughs> yeah. Hey, loth cats have made their way to Pantora. As there's a pair of those kind of yes. on, a, on a crate. So there's another thing here that's kind of pervasive in the episode, and I don't know if you guys picked up on it, but with the exception of one speeder bike, and it's the one that Hunter picks up later on in the episode. Did you guys notice that every speeder bike we see in the episode is a clone bark speeder or a police speeder? Yeah, no, that's that's really true. Yeah. So this, this comes back to, is this another case of, so like, the simple answer is it's just a reuse of an animation model because they already have it and they don't have to design anything new. So, yeah, uh, bark speeders, everybody is riding a bark speeder except for that one guy. So, again, <laughs> as, I, as I was saying before, you know, the simple answer is this is just a, a straight up reuse of, an, of a, an animation asset that they already have so that they don't have to design a new one. Mm. The other side of that is, is this, you know, an intentional, is this a plot beat where we're seeing the decommissioning of military hardware getting sold off as surplus i sort of thought that especially like this is like a hub yeah um you want to keep some of it that they still it could be the beginning of the decommissioning stuff we're so early in the transition that you know later on in the episode when we see a a a parade of of troopers Mm. you know they're they're still wearing you know they're still phase three clone armor 
And uh, but the descriptive audio is very, very specific in calling them stormtroopers. No, absolutely. So, uh, that scene is very like I don't know. It's too early to talk about that, but the, the a little uh, bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get there. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Well, here's a theory for you. Yeah, let's have it. Uh, Everybody was still in full production going up to this point, right? Yes. They're still cranking out clones. That's right. They're still cranking out things. There's no stretch to think that all the shipbuilders or bike builders were still cranking them out as well. So no, that's maybe true. because the war's over, they're now stuck with a surplus and they're finding outlets to drop them. Yeah. I would, you know, thinking about it, I should probably go back because we've seen bark speeders in action before when Order 66 went off and particularly where uh, Adigalia was murdered by her clones. They were yeah. riding bark speeders. I'd be curious to know if there's a, an angle where we can see whether or not the blaster cannon is still on them. You know, presumably they wouldn't be for a civilian market. No. But further down the street, uh, Hunter, Echo, and Omega pull up as they encounter a crowd in celebration. Just beyond the crowd, we see a column of Phase 3 clones march past as the civilians wave their arms and they cheer in celebration. A short distance beyond that, we can see the same hologram of Admiral Rampart in his chain code post. The citizens are being encouraged to exchange their invalid currency for new Imperial credits at no cost. And it's on loop. Yeah. yeah. So there's yeah, a yeah. huge difference here compared to the, to Silicamai, and that's that people were uh, sort of in distress on Silicamai. The stormtroopers were pushing them into lines. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. were, you know, so you got the impression that Silicamai wasn't on that side of the war. That's and a we great know point. That Pantora, what, what definitely was, we know that Obi Wan was there, and they, the, yeah. the, the, uh, they liberated that planet. So. You hear now you have people cheering in the streets for stormtroopers and lining up yeah, in droves absolutely. to get their chain codes and to trade in their money and do the right thing. And people are actually, yeah, yeah. you know, and it's a very, very different angle. Uh, you've got to think that this was easier than just the, the outer rim planets. This, yeah. this was easier because so many worlds were on the side of the Republic that when they won the war, that's the face of the story. That's right. Yeah. And so they're, they're hook, line and sinker drinking the Kool-Aid and the soldiers that are now stormtroopers parading through their streets. As far as they know, they're the heroes, that they're won heroes the war yeah. for them. That's right. And so, the, the, yep. and, and it also, uh, it's not lost on me that it's, uh, it echoes Padme's line from revenge of the Sith. This is how it ends with thunderous yeah. applause. Yeah, thunderous applause. It ties right into the line in our own history about, you know, history is history is written by the, the victor. You know, it's it's totally a case of that. Victor wrote a lot of stuff. <laughs> so Hunter remarks that things are changing faster than he anticipated, and he says that they should get what they came for and get out of there. Omega then questions, but the war is over. Isn't that a good thing? And Echo replies, it depends which side you're on. And that's exactly a weird statement we because about, they yeah. were on the side that won. <laughs> they were, yeah. 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 You know, the I think the reality, you know, of of now being on the outs with the with the Empire and being on the run kind of puts them in that unique position to appreciate what the civilians are are experiencing. And back at the docking bay, Wrecker and Tech continue to work on the Havoc Marauder. A panel on the port engine is off, and we can see the exposed engine components. Tech advises Wrecker where the signature key should be, and they begin to tear the engine apart. 
Back at the street market, Hunter tries to sell the explosive to a grand trader. But the trader rejects the piece of equipment. Hunter tries to tell him, but it's a pyrodentin, and that's got to be worth at least 1,800 credits. But the grand doesn't care because he's a legitimate business person and not a black market vendor. (laughs) At the same time, Omega admires a uh, soft goods trooper doll and accidentally knocks it over. And the trader angrily says, you break it, you buy it. And Omega quickly apologizes. She then shows the doll off to Echo. And the trader, spotting the two, mistakenly takes Echo for a droid and suggests that Hunter sells it instead. Did that toy remind you of Jin Erso's toy? Yes, it did. Yeah, totally. Very much so. Totally. It's, you know, just one more reminder that Omega is still a child and Mm. she's never, you know, been able to to just be a kid so no surprise that she sees a toy and and she's automatically drawn to it well the next scene too over oh look a puppy oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) initially hunter tries to dismiss the traitor by telling him that the droid is a military prototype but at the sound of the word military the vendor perks up and offers hunter two thousand credits Hunter takes a minute to confer with Echo, who immediately protests, saying, You can't be serious. But Hunter reminds him that they do need the credits. But all he has to do is wait until Hunter gives him the signal, and then he can leave. So Echo agrees to go along with the plan, but he insists that he's worth more than 2,000 credits. Hunter counteroffers the vendor at 4,000, and they reach a final agreement of 3,000 credits. (laughs) But it's so funny, because there's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> as they're talking to each other and he's like i'm worth more than two thousand and he's like yeah right and he turns he's like make it four thousand <laughs> when the trader counters back at three did you see hunter he, without turning his head he does a sideways glance over at echo okay <laughs> <laughs> i laugh my ass off at that yeah 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 but it is kind of funny because he's like i'm not a black market dealer but at the prospect of getting a military droid he's like yeah, yeah I'll, I'll break that rule it's that whole, like, you know, the we've seen it before in, in different films and stuff about, hey, sell your woman. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're in a foreign country, sell sell your woman, <laughs> that kind yeah, of thing. And, and it's weird because it also speaks to, like, the uh, the nature, like, uh, one of the themes of Star Wars, the nature yeah. of, like, ownership, like droids. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, clones, and are they people or property? And it's so that yeah. plays a little microcosm of he's got no compunction selling his brother dressed up like a droid and the right office, you know he knows yeah he'll break out but of course it's it's that sort of sense of property like they still they're not sure about their own sovereignty yet no as hunter and echo continue their business with the street vendor omega is distracted by a hover container with a crate of dog-like creatures and she mm-hmm. goes to pet one of them and the creature snatches the trooper doll from her hand just as the man pulling the container sets off gives her kisses first yeah, yeah. It's actually called a dog in the descriptive audio. Case. I saw that. Uh, I'm gonna. I want to talk about that a little bit more because I thought for sure we've talked about these before, and I can't remember where where they've come up before. But when I started looking at like dog-like creatures in Star Wars, I automatically I see them, and to me they they lean heavily into hujibs. Yeah, yeah. But to me, they look kind of like hujibs, but I I don't know right. if that's if that's what we're looking at. And I, said, I I oh, could they not have find there too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could not find a definitive answer for what they are. So no, I mean, dog no. is is kind I, of. The... I was looking at the cats, and I found a tuka cat that I never really encountered before. It oh. Says that that Rucker Ruck Wreckers 
toy as a Tuka cat. And I don't. Oh, okay. I okay. thought it was a Nerf, actually. I always thought of Nerfs as being the uh, the sheep of Star Wars. Right. Yeah. I, like I, a I Nerf herder. Yeah. Like yeah. a like you'd 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 treat them like a sheep. You shave them and you make clothing out of their hair, and then when Perfect. they're hungry, you eat them. Right. Like right. right. I, that's kind of how I hand in hand nerfs. with moves, apparently. Uh, apparently. So. Uh, concluding their business with the street vendor, Hunter and Echo are unaware that Omega has just run off into the crowded streets alone. And what's worse is Fennec Shand has been watching the whole time. Hunter accepts the credits from the street vendor and turns to leave the stall, noticing that Omega is gone. And in a panic, he begins calling for her as he sets off down the street. Meanwhile, Omega continues to chase after the dogs. Further down the street, Omega continues chasing the crate. The dog spits out the trooper doll, and as Omega goes to pick it up, she runs into a man, and she falls to the street. And he is a goatal? He's yeah, a goatal. Yeah, he, a, a goatal, yeah. He tells her to watch out. <laughs> <laughs> Omega quickly apologizes, and she gathers herself back to her feet, just as a soft feminine voice asks her if she's okay. Of course, we know it's Fennec Shand, and she tells Omega, you look like you're lost. Omega tells her she got separated from her friends, and Fennec says that she can help her with that. And the two of them set off down the street together. So that whole, uh, you know, someone needs to have that whole talking to strangers conversation with Omega. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of weird they started walking in the opposite direction of the market. Isn't it, though? It's like, okay, is she leading you now? Like, I know she Yeah, is, well, but... I mean, look at that whole, like, hand on the shoulder thing as they, as they kind of walked away, and you're like, oh, this guy. This can get bad. This can get ugly really quickly. Right. Exactly. Because Hunter, he has his dad moment there. He really does. Oh, like, yeah. I've, I've had that moment. The panic of you where's... Around, yeah, the oh, yeah. It's like, uh-oh. Yeah. We've all had that, like, you know, that your heart drops or heart jumps into your throat and your the bottom of your stomach falls out. And, oh. <clears throat> Excuse me. Back at the street vendor's uh, stall, Echo is shoved into a room with some other droids. The traitor is mean and forceful, and he exclaims, Maybe we'll have some order around here. Now get to work supervising these droids. So anyway, I found this this moment really kind of, we talk about, you know, allegories and, and sort of metaphor here. And is this not just, like when you think about how he was treating uh, Echo, you know, I, I find it pretty interesting that he's like, shoving you know uh, a droid you know that whole idea that a droid is a lesser you know lesser right. than a living right. thing but in the bigger scope of things like especially leaning into legends when we know when the new order comes around the anti-alien sentiment yeah do you know what i mean so yeah. and he, he even uses the words order and i'm like you know this guy doesn't you know the his his uh, statement about order is kind of allegorical about the galaxy at large and to where it's going politically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But the irony is he doesn't know it yet. So, no. you know, I see this guy in a, in a couple of months or, or a couple of years, you know, kind of eating those words. Uh, no, right. it's 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 probably true. It, it, I mean, it's 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 at the same time, it also speaks to people, you know, uh, definitely sick of droids droids have been the enemy for years now yeah oh, and yeah so that 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 kind of sentiment is going to bleed over you know we see it uh so 28 years from now still in dinjarin uh and you yeah, yeah. see that sentiment 
and it's uh, it does mimic the way that the aliens are treated. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Legends really leaned hard into that whole anti-alien sentiment, where everything was a was very much a human supremacist uh, society under the imperial rule. But there's a bit of a contrast here now with uh, with the prequel trilogy because we see the character Masameda, who is very much alien, is mm. on the inner. He's in the inner circle, and I mean, I'm not a, I'm not aware. Is there a point, you know, in galactic history where, you know, he's kind of shoved out because he's an alien, or does he just remain like, you know, in the ear of Palpatine until you know his death? Uh, yeah, no, I, it's not really explicitly detailed. No. Um, I don't know. <clears throat> I mean, I, I remember reading uh, how there was like an anti-alien sentiment and that the idea of Thrawn was really contrary to that. But I don't know that if it was ever a sort of canonized, absolute thing. I think I, the Empire made some some, you know, sort of concessions for near human species and i think that's maybe how they you know thrawn was handled that and and of course they they wrote the chiss ascendancy as being a a force you know near equal to the might Mm. of the empire so i think maybe that was kind of a oh we better take these guys seriously yeah no that's probably true yeah whereas they looked at the wookies and said yeah there's some slave labor slave labor yeah for sure hmm This episode of Fandom Power is brought to you in part by CollectorsPlatoon.ca. CollectorsPlatoon.ca, organizers of the annual Toronto Collectors Platoon Toy Show. Check out CollectorsPlatoon.ca, the Canadian home of Ian's display accessories, specializing in action figure stands for figures of all scales. Visit CollectorsPlatoon.ca today. Inside the back room at the street vendor stall, Echo lifts the visor on his helmet just as a protocol droid up uh, comes up to him, asserting that, no, it's in fact in charge. But seeing the human face, the droid blurts out, Oh my, you're not a droid. Two astromech droids and an LE series droid flank the protocol droid. Descriptive audio identifies this droid by the name Clink, and Clink Mm -hmm. chirps and whistles to the protocol droid that Echo should be reported. But Echo draws his sidearm and tells them, I'll take your complaint, and the droid immediately scuttles off. So uh, I'll touch on the droids now because it, it comes up later, but uh, the protocol droid is designated as a CG-67. And I did not find any pithy sort of, you know, it's not like CH-1P is Chopper. There was no, no right, kind of like right, pithy right. name for it. Yeah. The two remaining astromech droids are identified as uh, 225, which is a total departure from the traditional R2 naming conventions. Sure. And DK-3. Yeah. Yeah, so again, like I don't understand sort of how the naming convention on these droids went. Um, the other thing is the LE. So I'm staring at this little droid with his little uh, uh, like arms and legs, and I'm like, mm-hmm. where have I seen that before? Heavy. And the first thing that came to mind was, do you guys remember back in the 1980s there was a, a toy line called Robo Force? Robo Force. That sounds Robo Force. Yeah, and it it had a very short lived uh, television series. The other thing it reminds me of is, you know, in the robot toy craze of the 1980s, all of those robots from uh, Tomy in uh, Japan. Mm-hmm. With the big see-through heads and the yeah, sort of like exactly. the gears and lights going on. And, that, yes. and they just do Kinda this like, and walk uh, a bit. Know, Danger Will Robinson. 
So I, that was the biggest influence for me. Yeah. So LE series droids, as we see them in this episode, were actually introduced in uh, Resistance, and uh, in the there's one that lives on uh, I don't know the name of that station, the Monolith or or whatever the heck it's called. Mm. But they mentioned that the one that lived there by the time of Resistance is already kind of ancient. So again, you know, droids being around for you know hundreds and possibly thousands of years, right? So I did a bit of a, a bit of a dive on Clink just to see if I could come up with anything and uh, find out that Clink uh, in Star Wars Legends was actually the name of an R2 series astromech droid assigned to uh, Min Donos during his time with Wraith Squadron after the fall of the Empire during Crazy. the New Republic. Crazy. Yeah. There's also another thing about LE droids. So they, like LE and then, you know, like those pithy naming conventions yes. where they, they translated the initials L-E into the name Ellie, E-L-L-I-E. Right. And Ellie was like protocol droid thing. So another Legends kind of thing. I just think it's just a reuse of the name. Mm. Back on the streets, Hunter spots Omega's trooper doll laying on the ground. And picking it up, he studies it for a moment and sets off again. Meanwhile, Omega, now in the company of Fennec Shand, thanks her for helping her search for her friends. Fennec asks Omega if she's hungry, and she answers yes, but I don't have any credits. But Fennec spots a trader with a basket full of fruit and deceptively bumps into her, causing some of the fruit to spill out onto the street. Both Fennec and Omega kneel to pick up the fruit, and Omega spots Fennec's blaster. As they place the fruit back into the vendor's basket, Fennec palms a few pieces into her helmet. As the two carry on down the street, Omega voices her concern that the fruit wasn't paid for, and Fennec tells her that sometimes it's okay to break the rules. Omega closes the conversation asking, are you some kind of soldier? And of course she says, well, not exactly. So I don't know, did you guys ever see the, uh, you guys into the DC uh, animated films, the direct-to-consumer films? Some of them, yeah. Uh, I've seen most of them. See um, the Batman Superman uh, Apocalypse? Yes. That's the one with Supergirl, right? Yep. So remember in that one how they were all kind of competing for the the parentage? (laughs) Like who was going to raise Supergirl? Yeah. You know, Batman had an opinion. Superman had an opinion. Wonder Woman had an opinion. I kind of see this. I wonder if this line, this, this moment that they've shared, right, is the line that it's okay to break the rules going to come back later on? Like... Is Omega going to, you know, like, I mean, she doesn't even know what the rules are at this point. She's still learning the ropes, right? But I can see her, you know, maybe down the road thinking that, you know, doing something out of the box is actually going to be helpful, but not realizing that the consequences to what she's doing are actually wrong. So I just kind of wonder if that's something that's going to come back. I think so. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's very uh, realistic sort of child yeah very much yeah right now she's drinking in all the knowledge she can she learned very quickly with that credits equal food yeah you know she she you know she and and also a strong sense already of right and wrong yep so when fennec tells her no omega asks why do you have a blaster and she tells omega that it's to protect herself and that the galaxy is a dangerous place to be alone but omega comes back with yeah it's a good thing i have my friends And then Fennec retorts, well, aren't you lucky? And with her childlike enthusiasm, Omega gasps, I know, if you're alone, you should come with us. 
There's a little hint of <laughs> sincerity to Fennec Shand here when she says that's the best offer I've had you know, yes. in a while. Yeah, it's so a legit offer, and it's the legit best offer she's had in a while. You kind of wonder, pardon my language, but you kind of wonder what kind of shithole is she living in that that's the best thing going for her? Like, where is she coming from? What? How often as a bounty hunter where you're just you're either you're trying to kidnap somebody or kill them and then drag their corpse in, in for money, how often do you get a chance at a normal life? Yeah. How often yeah. is that just like, oh, uh, here, you know, uh, let's get married and, and have kids and go to, you know, like how often does the chance at a normal life actually occur to it? So she's very introspective in that yep. moment. You know, that's, that's legit the best offer she's probably ever had. We see a, a softening of that character later on in the Mandalorian in season two, when she turns up in the uh, employ or the service of Boba Fett. And you Especially wonder softening in her middle section. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. you wonder if, you know, and of course, there is something. There had to be a catalyst that drove her from, you know, human child to ruthless assassin. You know what I mean? Like, there's a compelling story there somewhere, and I wonder oh, if we're going to get more of that. She's such I a hope good we actress. Do. Uh, I big really, time. Yeah, I really am looking forward to the book of Boba Fett. Let's see more the, of her. The character modeling on her in this episode is is outstanding. She's immediately recognizable with her helmet off. There's yeah. no question. And it's you know, Maud doing the voice work, which is yeah, beautiful, so, so there's no questions at all. Yeah, having the the actress doing their own voice work just adds to that. Mm-hmm. As you say, she chuckles, saying that it's the best offer that she's had in a while. Uh, just then, Hunter spots them, and he calls out to Omega. Hunter immediately senses the gravity of the situation, and he orders Omega to step away from the woman. But Omega doesn't understand and asks why she was helping me look for you. Donning her helmet, Fennec interjects, Yes, Omega and I were just getting to know each other. By the time Omega realizes that this is a standoff, it's too late. Fennec draws and fires her blaster at Hunter, and he rolls out of the way. Omega grabs at Fennec's arm, and the two struggle for a moment until Fennec lets go of Omega. The scuffle is just enough opportunity for Hunter to draw and throw his knife, but the blade is deflected by a shield. This is really cool. It's a pretty quick scene, but I want to talk a little bit about uh, Fennec Shan's uh, marksmanship ability. We saw that uh, that episode of The Mandalorian back in season one where they talk about, sh- and I, they use the, the words, but they use the words, she doesn't miss. Right. But she missed. She's young. I get that she's young, but this is the contrast of, now, I don't know, I, I've heard something around Hunter being able to, part of his ability is is includes the ability to 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 sense Oh, I can't remember what the heck it was called. Precognition. Spider sense. Very much like that. So, I mean, is that a case of like, you know, bullseye, you know, trying to hit Daredevil? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like the precog versus the... There's a good bet to that sort of thinking. Yeah. It's almost like there's a vehicle that pulls and like she she shoots at, hits like a vehicle that's driving through the way and they they use that cover to, to duck out. It's a little, it moves a little quick in that scene. It, it does. And I had to go back and watch it like three or four times because it's not, and even now, and I've watched it five, six times, it's mm-hmm. not clear. Is that a shield? Is that like a collapsing shield that she pulled off of her, her person? I honestly or thought is that she like picked a, something a, up off the table. Well, that's, I didn't, I thought well, maybe I that the, too. Uh, 
on my first couple watches, I thought she grabbed something off the table. Descriptive audio describes it as a shield, but I it mean, says any object shield, you yeah. did block a thing with would, would be a shield. Be a shield. But you know what? The, I'm going to talk about you again, descriptive audio guy. Uh, <laughs> mis misidentifying people. This this week they misidentified Wrecker as Hunter. Yes. So and they misidentified the the woman carrying the fruit. As, yep. Uh, but they bump into a man. Ah, uh, yeah, I fruit. heard that too. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. As as helpful as it is to help dissect these these episodes, like oh, don't take it as to... gospel. Exactly, because I think I'll... you're trying to throw me off now. The other thing was I noticed <laughs> at the end of this episode there was a there were audio uh, descriptive audio credits. Oh, so I a writer and and the narrator introducing himself oh, or giving cool. himself credit, which I never saw before on right. the Mandalorian. No, no, because we were theorizing: are they reading from the script? Yeah. So now we yeah. know, at least for this one, that there's a person writing the descriptive audio and then a yep. person performing that. As I was doing my notes yesterday with the with the voice to text, I actually wondered if that's what the, the, the descriptive audio guy does, if he's just sitting there watching the episode in a booth and he's just <laughs> describing it as he's watching it. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a line of work I want to get into, trust me. <laughs> I only shaved off like, oh, this is going to sound really bad. I managed to shave two hours off my note-taking time oh, and i wow. was still i was still a solid four hours at it mm -hmm. and half yeah. the notes are about mayonnaise so well <laughs> it's my own fault for not proofreading it <laughs> uh, so yeah but regardless whether the shield came from her person or whether it was a piece of material that she uh picked up from one of the tables right uh she's able to pull the blade from it and engages hunt uh, with Hunter hand to hand, which I thought, yes. oh, this is going to be interesting. And it is, but not in the way that you'd expect, right? Because she immediately is able to pin him up against a uh, uh, like a rack of like pottery. Yes. Uh, and then she's like going to plunge the knife into his chest, but you know, in the in the same sense, you know, he's yelling at Omega, run, grabs her by the wrists, and just you know. Takes him a few seconds, but he just like straight up overpowers her. Like, overpowers her. But she does in that yeah. scene, she has blaster in one hand, knife in the other. Yeah. She's not actually grappling. She's being grappled. She gets yeah. a shot off and just like uh, pops some fruit there. But he That's does right. that. I was very, he just does, you know, Superman bend her arm. Yeah, right yeah, away, yeah. Like, uh, and then she gives the incredible headbutt well this is it right <laughs> like she's a pretty shrewd combatant herself and as you say she uh drops a little bit of helmet right on the uh, sweet spot and uh, it's lights out lights out but the blaster fire has alerted the local security force and a squad of pantorum police arrive and uh, end up chasing her down the street back at the ship wrecker and tech have found the signature key just as they remove it, a comm link goes off. It's Hunter, and he tells them he's lost Omega, that they were attacked by a highly trained woman, and the woman is after Omega. Wrecker grabs his helmet and runs off to help, while Tech says he can tap into the city's central computer to use the camera network to help find her. I got Phantom Menace vibes here a little bit. You know, like, uh, 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 I don't know who he was, but he was well-trained in the Jedi arts. Oh, you know, yeah. That little scene yeah, yeah, with Qui-Gon yeah. uh, on the ground. Yeah, radioing in the the events. To He's totally exhausted. Vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, Hunter, you know, in his grogginess, and the first thing he does is gets on the radio and calls for help. So that's good, good presence of mind for him, as far as mm -hmm. I'm concerned. Love that Tech is just so 
I don't want to say he's he's a Mary Sue, but I mean, uh, you know, he's just he's got the right answer at the right time for just about everything. No, absolutely. Yeah. Hunter explains that the scuffle with Fennec Shand has put the city on alert and they need to get the ship ready to go. Tech exclaims, uh, well, unless you have a team of maintenance droids, it's going to take a while. <laughs> fortunately, uh, yeah, <laughs> fortunately, Echo, who's been listening in on his comm link for the entire time, uh, mobilizes his new droid entourage. Using the tool on his cybernetic arm, Echo removes the restraining bolts from the droids and they head out bound for the docking bay. The Grand Trader, seeing the droids leave the shop, exclaims, Hey, where do you think you're all going? Get back inside. And then stops in shock at the sight of Echo, with his helmet up revealing that he's not really a droid. <laughs> Echo uh, kind of tosses the restraining bolts into his hands and sarcastically says, You got me for a bargain. And they uh, take off. So that's kind of cool. Omega, running through the streets of uh, Pantora City, uh, looks back and sees that Fennec is indeed chasing her. She crouches to hide behind a crate and spots a manhole. Pressing a button, she opens the manhole to peer inside. Back at the Havoc Marauder, Tech has now tapped into the city's security camera network. At the same time, he's monitoring the security force's comm chatter, which helps him narrow down which area to look in. Spotting Omega climbing into the maintenance tunnels, he passes that information along to his brothers. We then switch back to Omega, now running through the maintenance tunnels. Stopping to catch a breath, she looks back and then continues into the darkness, only to run square into a shadowy figure. But it's Wrecker, and she's happy to see him as she clings to his chest. Wrecker says, you had us worried. And Omega blurts out, can we get out of here? Wrecker radios in that he has Omega, and they're on their way back to the ship. But as they turn to leave, Omega sees Fennec at the opposite end of the tunnel. She gasps in fear. Wrecker places her on a ladder and tells Omega to get back to the ship. Wrecker pulls his helmet down and charges in, but the melee is short as Fennec deftly deflects him into the tunnel wall, knocking him out. So, I'll take a minute here and stop for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, this theme of Wrecker hitting him, uh, being shot in the head in the first episode or in the in the four-episode arc of the Clone Wars and then hitting his head last episode, it's a bit of a recurrent uh, thing for him to keep knocking himself, like getting his bell rung. That's right. Um, is this, you know, like, yep. yeah, is this continuing down that, you know, like we were kind of suspicious, you know, in the last episode about getting knocked. But uh, yeah, I mean, I so can't. It, it's go a ahead, theme. Hank. Yeah. Oh, it's just a theme like like uh, successive bangs to this head and we know that there's a thing going on inside and we just keep taking it. And, you know, as a as a medical professional or former medical professional yep. or as like like concussions, <laughs> you know, uh, the biggest man in the world, if he's had 10 concussions and you just tap him with a tuning fork, yep. he's going down. Right. Yeah. And that's the other thing I noticed was that like each instance is successively like he's more susceptible, like. You know, I granted he was, you know, traveling with a lot more force this time when he kind of smashed into the tunnel wall. But right. uh, you just think, you know, given that the, the way the character has been written, the way that they've described him, that he should be able You think, oh, you'd be able to take that. But no, he's uh, he's out. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So the other thing is, you know, going back to Fennec Shan and talking about her ability now, she's just gone toe to toe, not with one, but two different 
guys in the Bad Batch and arguably the two best hand-to-hand combatants in the squad and she's come up aces both times yeah so the best of the best of an entire army of yeah. the grand republic and tune two of them hand-to-hand uh um, yeah but it's it's interesting to me and i also i exclaimed interest in in, in another scene towards the end but she doesn't kill either of them no she, she doesn't they knocked them both out cold and she just could have put bolts in both their heads and yeah no problem yeah and, and our so, show that she's not she's not there yet as a character no. if she ever is there it's not like she never misses isn't implicitly she always kills right omega frantically climbs the ladder looking back she can see fennec pursuing her it turns out that the ladder she's climbing wasn't actually a ladder back to the street level uh instead when she reaches the top of the ladder she realizes that she's now standing on the top of a uh, tower Looking outside off the tower, she sees speeder traffic whizzing by and realizes she's got nowhere left to run. You really get a sense of uh, of panic for her. like She's been cornered. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, Echo and it. the droids. Oh, go ahead. No, it's just a good scene. It, uh, this is the scene where uh, you get to hear the uh, actual sound clips from... Uh, attack the clones yeah yeah i'm certain that they use the audio um and you get that it's very reminiscent of luke skywalker in the chasmone bespin yeah even the scene leading up to this where she was when she was moving through the the horizontal tunnel before she got to the stairs is like luke in that little short tunnel oh yeah bespin yeah yeah very Uh, much yeah so i got that kind of vibe here like the young the young uh you know force user or the young apprentice is you know they they the analogy, the, uh, the the similarities are, are yeah awesome. We get a quick scene of Echo and the droids making their way back to the Havoc Marauder, and uh, they immediately start to uh, put the ship back together. Not before there's a little bit of a of a scuffle between uh, Echo and uh, CG, who's like trying mm-hmm. to assert her "I'm in control here." Yeah, and he's like, "Listen, the sooner we get this done, the sooner you can be back in charge." And she's like, "All right, let's go, you, you, you." Right? It's this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's almost like a Flintstones moment. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the top of the tower, Omega attempts to close the door uh, behind her, but a blaster bolt blows the door wide off, knocking her over the edge where she desperately clings on to the, uh, the ledge. Hunter, using his comm link, calls for Wrecker. Of course, Wrecker is knocked out and uh, can't answer. At the same time, Tech, uh, following the security forces' uh, comm traffic, Here's the report of a child hanging from a maintenance tower. And he relays the reality of the situation to Hunter and suggests that he better hurry up. Fortunately for Hunter, a man pulls up on a speeder bike. And this is the one and only (laughs) non-military speeder bike we see the whole episode. Uh, The guy gets off to go and do some shopping. And Hunter seizes the opportunity to steal it. More like a swoop (laughs) bike, this thing. Very much so, yeah. Hanging from the tower, Omega starts to lose her grip. But before she falls, Fennec grabs her by the arm and says, you can thank me later. At the same time, Fennec spots Hunter rapidly approaching on his stolen speeder bike. Advising Omega to tuck and roll, Fennec proceeds to drop Omega onto the back of a cargo speeder and jumps in after her. But Hunter is right behind them and he pushes the bike even faster. 
took me a minute to figure it out. Not until a, uh, she actually went to grab the handle that this is basically the Star Wars equivalent of a dump truck. Yep. <laughs> but you know what? Hey, if it, if the design works, it works. No, absolutely. You know? And I, I didn't feel like this was contrived you know, to set up what's happening in the episode. I actually felt this is a functional piece of gear within the universe. We're, I mean, that we're steeped. Star Wars is just uses everyday ordinary objects to make yeah. them look extraordinary anyway. And the, you yeah. know, we, we, we have tanks, but they're repulsor lift tanks, but we have, right. we have jets, but they're hyperspace jets. So exactly. We, yeah. We're, we're, you know, we're not so far out of our own galaxy. We're just no, way ahead no. technologically. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the maintenance tunnels, Wrecker starts to come around as Tech is trying to raise him on the comlink. Wrecker asserts he's got to go after Omega, but Tech advises him that Hunter is already on it and he should get back to the ship. And so starts this, like, this chain of comedic beats with Wrecker just, like, running. <laughs> we see him a couple of times, like, he's just, like, he he's not, he wants to go the other way. Yes. Uh, but he's, you know, he's doing the right thing. He's, he's doing what he's orders, told. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But the way that they write it, like, it's it's not tragic like they wrote for Crosshair. We're like, good soldiers follow orders. That's right. That's it's, right. You know, with Wrecker, again. What's that one line? I'm missing all the action. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. When he stops because the, the police speeders go by. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah, he does a lot of growling and grunting. yeah. Meanwhile, in the Skyway, Fennec begins to open fire on Hunter, but he's able to dodge it. Omega spots a lever at the front of the dump box, and she uh, pulls on it. And like a modern-day dump truck, the cargo box begins to cantilever up, and all the cargo, along with Fennec, tumble right up the back. Fennec falls under a, onto another speeder with its driver unaware, and she manages to cling on, while Omega is able to grab hold of a strap that's attached to the truck. As cargo rains down from the speeder truck, a pair of police speeders take up pursuit. Hunter continues to close the gap while Fennec manages to climb to the top of the speeder. <laughs> Completely unawares, she grabs the driver and tosses him out. Yeah. <laughs> no ticket. This, um, this episode particularly makes no compunction about showing you the... the yeah. The level of violence in this show, I was thinking, you know, it's not really. I didn't think it was any much any more than the Clone Wars, well, but the previous like ones have been off camera. That's right, and and you have a clone force shooting droids, and and so I mean, nobody would say would argue that you know it's it's uber violent to show clones killing robots. Even the flip side of that alive. is every time you see it, not every time, but a lot of the times you see clones getting killed in mass combat, they're all wearing yeah. helmets, so you that's can right. associate, right? Yeah, yeah. So to see a you know an unarmed civilian get thrown out, mm-hmm. the same thing when uh, Fennec bullseyes that uh, she, she the, just the killed police a cop. officer right in the chest. <laughs> he careens into his partner and they smash off a building and she it's in full full display. Yeah, yeah. cop Absol- killer. No, absolutely. We're gonna have to play that Ice T song for there. that's, yeah, that's yeah, her yeah, theme. Yeah, yeah. That's her theme song now. Yeah, Fennec down. Shan, cop killer. Cop killer. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. Uh, Hunter is uh, able to, or he gets, uh, oh my God, Hunter closes the gap while Fennec manages to climb to the top of the speeder she's clung to and she throws the driver out, taking the controls. Hunter nearly in gra- uh, within grasp of Omega uh, when Omega spots the speeder racing towards them. She yells at Hunter to look out as Fennec crashes the speeder into the back of the, uh, the truck, hitting his speeder bike, sending him careening out of the lane of traffic. 
Oh, look at this. Another. Uh... <laughs> oh, Fennec glances behind her and sees uh, the two police speeders chasing her. Conveniently enough, plot armor. She also spots the blaster pistol that she dropped laying there on the hull. <laughs> it was in a groove, to be fair. At least it wasn't laying it on was something in a smooth groove. where it could have slid off. Yeah, it's almost, you know, it's it's not, it's on the same level of plot armor as uh, catching Anakin's lightsaber mm-hmm. falling through thousands of feet of traffic. <laughs> or Cody just finding it. Well, that too, right? But again, so there, there is that Star Wars precedence has already said that, so we can accept that as, okay, it's yeah. there. But again, you know, the Force does work in strange ways. For a moment, Fennec places the speeder on autopilot, picks up the blaster, firing at the police, striking one of the officers in the chest. As his speeder careens out of control, it smashes into the other police speeder, and the pair of them crash into a building in a fiery explosion. Yeah, so going back to that, uh, so this is the contrast, right? Like, uh, Fennec Shan doesn't miss. <laughs> She mm-hmm. shot that guy. Now we've we see her in uh, Mandalorian. She's a she's a sniper and and she's a rifle uh, rifle person. Mm-hmm. But she just bull she just bullseyed a moving target through the chest, square center of mass, with a sidearm, and a moving target. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and again, if she wanted to kill the uh, hunter and wrecker and Omega, <laughs> she could have. I agree with you. I think she is far more dangerous than, you know, we're led to believe at this point. And I have a theory about her, too, which is kind of heads into deeper lore and, and sure. certainly the Filoni-verse. <laughs> you wanna, do you want to bring that up now? I, I can. I, I mean, she's certainly she's a bounty hunter. Uh, they haven't yeah. established it implicitly, but we know that's what she does for a living. And, um, and certainly the the cloners were talking about getting yep. somebody to, you know, acquire an asset and all leading to the theory that that asset is probably Omega and it's probably yeah. due to her genetic makeup that they want to move this next version of clones forward based on something that she's got. That's not degrading. Um, there's one other source of that non degrading uh, DNA in the galaxy and that that's Boba yeah. Fett. And we already know the connection with Boba Fett and uh, Fennec Shand in the future. But what they don't explain was how come they were working together anyway. You know, there's, they just, it's taken for rote and there's a lot of trust there. There's a lot of like, we, you don't really see Boba Fett, the kind of guy that's going to, uh, you know, repair, first of all, find a body in the, in the desert. Right. Bring it back. You know, it's a rival. She's a rival. So there's, there's something deeper going on there. And we know that, Boba Fett towards the end of the Clone Wars, the last time we saw him in the Clone Wars cartoon, he he had created his own little organization. He he'd gone from yeah, this, right. like, this apprentice b- bounty hunter hanging out with Bosk, who was trying to keep him safe for Django, to this and, guy uh, now the Crate's Claw, right? Uh, uh, what's her name? Aura Singh. Aura yeah, Singh was part of and, that. Yeah, and yeah. Bosk, and, and the, yeah. the, the one scene where, where where are we going now, Boss? Like he's in control of that. Right. And I think if the common knowns want Omega, they hire Boba Fett. To get her. Yeah, you know, that whole Mandalorian connection with the two of them, like, I was always under the impression that uh, when Boba introduces her, you know, I saved her, she's indebted to me, I just got the impression that they already knew each other from, from they had a, a previous history. Exactly. And so yeah. I think we're going to get some of that history. 
Um, I hope so. Yeah, man, we're going to, I think we're going to yeah. get connected uh, tissue. Well, this, and I yeah. keep saying the Filoni verse, but we definitely, um, he's, he's weaving the fabric now, right? So big time, um, big time. Yeah. And it, it doesn't make sense to have all these strings in different directions. It, no, no. It, like, you know, if we see a Boba Fett character, we can assume that we're going to have a Boba Fett interaction or at least, think so. at least spoken word, you know? And, um, I, it's not also lost on me. You guys probably see it too. That yeah. the, the, the definite connection between, uh, her character in Fennec's character in this episode and Zam Wessel's character in attack of the clones. Oh yeah. Big time. And their connection with Django and each other. And so, I think we got a, a sort of a mirror happening here. I think you'll find that very much so. She's she's that role, she but for Boba. Boba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yesterday I made the joke <laughs> talking about Dave Filoni. I called him the Kevin Feige of Star Wars. Hey, <laughs> if that cowboy hat fits. If it fits, yeah. If the uh, wolf pin fits. I saw it going word. crazy on Twitter, and then I had to yeah. chuckle to myself because it's been about a year. <laughs> yeah that he's had the title and it literally wasn't updated on their, their webpage till I think Thursday. Uh, to just, but he is, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's good news. It, it, it's it's yeah. been good news. I'm glad that the, the general public is now like, yeah, okay. Cool. Chief creative officer. That's a, that's a huge, huge title for that's one. Cr- yeah. I mean, that, um, that puts him firmly at the helm. I think yeah. as, as far yeah, as yeah. like, you know, you got people that are, you know, the, executive directors and you have the people that are like you know john favreau is executive producer but creative director puts you right at the wheel i'm going to give you your your broad beats of you know how this needs to to fit with everything else and then you're going to deliver me a product in my head and i don't know if it's true or not but in my head it just kind of like you know he's he comes before favreau in that yeah oh absolutely I, i agree and the executive producer but he's the He's ostensibly the new George Lucas and has been for a while, though. I mean, he has been for a while. And I talked about this yesterday with my wife and I said, you know, I mean, we as fans have have all kind of, I think, clamored to see uh, Dave Filoni get his his dues and and be sort of I don't want to say rewarded, but Mm. is that maybe not the best term rewarded for his work and his efforts? But I mean, you listen to everything that he says in terms of like talking about his his pedigree in star wars and he quite literally goes back to this is the way george would do it yeah and i mean it's he's the one closest of us thing. at the end of the day yeah, absolutely he's the kind of guy that could be the fourth screen on here and yeah. not feel awkward or like shell-shocked by a famous person and the, uh, there can't be anybody that knows more about star wars he's the guy that sat down and yeah. studied under lucas and not like you yeah. know he didn't sit there and just listen to lucas talk yeah he, he sponged that crap up i mean not like us where we then get, you know, we read keys. a lot right right like lucas handed him the keys exactly it couldn't be in better hands as far as i'm concerned and and uh yeah we talked I'm about sure. it back on that's the, that's why i didn't panic when i first saw the no, first episode no. of this we even talked about it back on the mandalorian our fandalorian episodes you know when they were talking about you know favreau might be in control but you can't tell me that he doesn't do anything without going 
Hey, hey, Dave, what, what do you think of this? There was that in that in that episode where they're talking about why yeah. can't this be the line, and and Filoni's like, that's not the way that character would talk. No, nope, that's absolutely it's funny. Right. That's funny, but nope, <laughs> you don't yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah, and that's a big thing to say to Fabro. So, I, yeah, big time. All right, let's get back to it. So, with uh, Fennec's speeder damaged, Hunter is now able to overtake her. And just as Omega is about to fall off the speeder truck, he grabs her and pulls her up onto the saddle in front of him. Knowing that he has to end the chase now, Hunter pulls out the last remaining explosive charge from his backpack, the very one that they were all sad about having to sell. And in a move right out of Top Gun, Hunter jams on the brakes while Fennec flies right on by. Before he... Uh, but not before he's able to arm the explosive and throw it at the speeder where it attaches itself to the hull and explodes. <laughs> Super. I love that moment. I was like, good, oh, top good gun. Scene. Yep. Very similar to the detonators from uh, Mandalorian. Force Awakens. Oh, I was thinking Mandalorian. You know, the ones that, uh, that Din oh, yeah, sort drops of like a fatter on, disc. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. on uh, Gideon's TIE fighter. But yeah, definitely bigger. P90, they called them, right? I think so. Is it P90? I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Fennec, seeing what's happening, knows that the jig is up, and she immediately leaps out of the cockpit uh, just as it starts to break apart mid-flight. As luck would have it, she manages to tumble into a uh, passing speeder taxi before she rolls off to the ground. Uh, just in time to see Hunter and Omega fly off into the distance while her stolen speeder crashes and burns a few feet away. Running back towards the Havoc Marauder, Wrecker stops at the sight of a pair of police speeders passing overhead. He balks at missing all the action, but continues on his way. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the ship, Echo and the droids have just finished up repairing uh, the repairs, and Echo is happy to return control of the droids back over to uh, the protocol droid CG. She gleefully accepts the, her command back and leads the droids off uh, back to the, out of the docking bay. Tech stepping off the Havoc Marauder uh, steps off just as Hunter and Omega arrive on their speeder bike. Hunter uh, is insistent that they leave now, and Tech beckons Wrecker to pick up the pace just as he runs into the docking bay out of breath. <sighs> I'm here. <laughs> as the Havoc Marauder lifts off, the security manager is startled awake in his office. He waves his arms frantically, yelling at them, Stop! She hasn't paid me yet, <laughs> but it's too late as the ship streaks off skyward. Back on board the ship, an exhausted hunter comes to the conclusion that she must be a bounty hunter. Omega questions, a bounty hunter? And Echo explains that a bounty hunter is someone hired to retrieve targets. While Tech adds, and you appear to be the target. But Omega doesn't understand, and she says, me? Wrecker says, hey, don't scare her. And Hunter resolves that they need to find out who the bounty hunter is and who hired her mm-hmm. while Omega stares on in confusion. Totally uh, building on the themes of the last couple of episodes, this whole, um, you you hit it pretty succinctly last episode, Hank, about the uh, relationship that Omega and Wrecker are starting to form. And that that's right. It's totally there for me. And like the whole, don't scare her, that, you get more of that big brother vibe heavy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Big time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's really, it's, it's really growing on me now. Like I like that episode, that, uh, aspect of their, their connection. 
So back at the docking bay uh, at Pantora City, we see Fennec Shan's ship is now docked at the same docking bay that the Havoc Marauder had just left. She backs the security manager into a corner, and he cowers, saying that he tried to stop them. Fennec tosses a device into his hands and says, If they come back, you know how to contact me. Turning away from the office, she removes her helmet and she takes out her comlink. The device chimes and she speaks to an unseen presence, telling them the target got away, but I'll find her. She doesn't throw a device, though. She throws him a credit. Is it I credits? It credits, like, yep. I not actually as much had that as he was wanting, oh. yeah. but it's like, here. This is what you get. My first time around, I thought credits. And then the second time around, I was like, did he just toss her like, I thought it was maybe an encoded comm link, like a direct line to her? It's funny because I had the same conversation with Lauren. So I yeah. thought it was a device. And Lauren said, no, she paid him anyway. Because okay. that, that's the one spot where I went, oh, because I thought she yeah. was just going to put a bullet in his head. And that's the one. Well, yeah, where me I too. Went, the... This is a different Fennec Shan. Yeah. Oh, um, but at the same time, Lauren was like, well, she, he already knows how to contact her. And I was yeah. like, oh, that makes, yeah. That yeah, does make total sense. To contact her when he's already in contact with her. Yeah, I, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know why I even went there. Yeah, no, credits I, makes I, more I sense. I did too, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, really, what could the guy have done to stop him? It's not like there was a door on the thing. <laughs> no. Close the hangar doors. Not, I mean, we've already established she's only killing out of necessity or protection, self-preservation. Yeah. Like, yeah. A, you know, you don't kill an underworld contact if they're no. they're going to serve as you in the future. He's, so. Yeah, it's still useful in some way. Mm. I was going to say he could uh, throw his Lady Luck model at her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and that is the close of the episode. We uh, fade out. We get our end credits. Which leads me to go, who is she talking to? Who is on the other end of that comm link? And I don't know about you guys. I got two two obvious ones for me. One is obviously the Empire. Um, oh, that was one of my choices. The Empire is one of my choices. Probably Rampart. And the other one is the the Kaminoan cloners, whether it's Lamasu or Nalase. They both have a vested interest in getting uh omega back but probably for different reasons Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so those are those are my two choices you know the the empire or the the cloners are the ones who are and there's a precedence here too because the empire strikes back you know oh we don't need need their type around here Mm -hmm. so the empire is no no qualms about using bounty hunters so why not you know, it goes it goes back further in the comics too. To, yeah, to using uh, and even the emperor using uh, Ochi of Bastoon to try to track right, down right. his clone. You know, that's uh, right. The, so there is it. There, you know, you're not wrong. There's a tradition of the empire utilizing that, or the bad guys utilizing that. Yeah, my two choices are definitely Nala Se or Boba Fett. Interesting, uh, and yeah. I think that you'll see that Nala Se is you know willing to take on you know. She needs that, but she needs that bounty hunter. But Django Fett's not an option anymore. We yeah. do have it. We do have a second best, and uh, you know, we know that he's got a team of people, and so, and we know that they have a, a past. It just, it's almost empirical to me that Boba Fett's on the other end of that line. So the, this just occurred to me now, and I swear this happens every episode. Every time we get together and do one of these, one of you will say something that triggers something in me, and so you just triggered something for me, Hank. Mm. Back in episode uh, two, okay, the the line that the original material from Django Fett is deteriorating. Correct. Boba is an unaltered clone. It's Absolutely. the same genetic material. Yes. 
is he an option to try and get him to get new genetic material to keep the machine rolling? And that's what, like, so they had, uh, they took a piece of of a sample of uh, Django's blood and built the clones off that. Yeah. It was never an issue as long as Django was still alive. Now Django's not alive. That original sample or even the newest sample of his blood is degrading. Yeah. Yeah. Therefore, the quality of the clones is degrading. Maybe that's when they're going to bump their heads and start to miss people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, And so we need a new version, but that we, you know, we could do the same thing again. We could clone the clone and, and make a new batch, which will eventually degrade. Oh, I saw multiplicity. That's not a good we idea. We could hire the guy that we know can do the job to get us back <laughs> yes. our property. Yeah. That is yeah. the new experiment because Omega is the new experiment. Uh, That's for true. The clay, phase three, phase four. Version yeah. Whatever of, it is. Like what they were talking about the last of that second or third yeah. episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it, it, it's, it's all in house. It all fits nicely. It's, it's all Filoni verse stuff. Um, Big time. Uh, I think that's Boba Fett on the end, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I didn't necessarily think it was Boba, but I did, like, I'm in agreement with you there. It was either Nalise or what I was thinking, because in The Mandalorian, you've got your Grief Karga, who's just, you know, head of the guild and, you know, basically relaying info out. Right. And it would make sense that Fennec Shand is calling whoever is the head of that guild at that particular time. Oh, that's yeah. a good bet, be too. Be it Boba yeah. Fett or whoever many options the uh the go-between between you know whoever hired and the intermediary i guess yeah, yeah. well yeah. certainly you don't see din Djarin dealing with the uh client directly before the actual job no no he's approached by his union boss and the union boss is handing out the the job so makes sense i feel like the show you know even if it's just a pure fan service moment um uh, I would like to see a young Din Djarin turn up at least, you know, one episode, even if it's just a, a, a walkthrough. <laughs> You'd have to be wearing a helmet. That's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, we, we can <laughs> see him and then they could do the same thing. He'd be wearing the armor, you know, 28 years earlier. <laughs> All right. Do we have any closing thoughts on the episode or where we think things are going next week? I definitely think that we're going to, to get darker in tone in, in terms of the underworld. I think yep. we're going to, they're, they're going to have to go on the offensive uh, in terms of trying to track down who's trying to track them down. Like yeah. That'll become priority mission. I think Big you'll time. start to see uh, we got to, we're going to bump into Rex soon. Uh, yeah. Therefore that, maybe dang, a deeper a connective tissue. Carrot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we, there's still the, the lingering threat of they're working on a way to interact with their, their chips. So yeah, um, they're constantly you know they're they're playing catch up. They got to scramble their device. They got to scramble their. They got to steal chain codes. They've got to, you know. So they're there. There was a lot of cool uh, Easter eggs in this. Um, uh, uh, I don't know if you guys caught it when Omega sees the the puppies. She says yeah. hello there. Oh, I <laughs> missed that. Says, hello there. Uh, that's pretty great. Um, yeah. There's a bunch of. Uh, I got Ivan's Wampa house. Uh, there was also. Um, a bunch more uh, party food, hot and spicy rancor, oh. uh, assorted meats, uh, gyros, uh, nice. a whole bunch of different orabesh, uh, uh, authority Pantora police, uh, steaks and gyros, uh, a few, yeah, that a lot of the orabesh there. A lot of it was numbers in this episode. Who knew that gyros were a thing in the Star Wars universe? And then, well, I was looking it up while while we were talking, and I, and I waited to yeah, bring sure. it to the end, but uh, the yep. dogs. Yeah, because uh, I looked up that thing from 
resistance that you were talking about. So Vorpax are oh. indeed the dogs. Vorpax. So I'll just read this. Vorpax. Obi-Wan references alongside uh, Obi-Wan references aside, sorry. Omega's cute new friends are Star Wars Easter eggs in themselves. These bounty yeah. hunters, little creatures are known as Vorpax and originated as part of Star Wars legend before canonized through the mentioned in Solo Star Wars story where Kira wears their fur as a fashion oh. accessory. Animated Vorpax went on to appear regularly in Star Wars Resistance. Bad Batch is the first time they're being animated in a Clone Wars okay. art style. Well, that that answers that for me. So now I'm yeah. going to have to go and look up Vorpax to see what their what their other looks are like. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because I almost didn't, I didn't quite recognize it when I, when I, the LE series droid thing, when you see the LE series droid from Resistance, that cell shaded animation style, it's just enough to throw you like, what is it? Is it the same? Is it not? I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I couldn't get through it, so I wouldn't, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't, uh, I would have not noticed that. Uh, definitely wouldn't, wouldn't have noticed that. I'm not sure. Unfortunately. Well, that's okay. Well, guys. That's uh, episode four, Cornered, of uh, The Bad Batch. This is The Fan Batch, and we've still got uh, lots more to chew on in the coming weeks on top of our uh, next regularly scheduled episode of Fandom Power, which is yet to be determined. (laughs) (laughs) While we've got the technology up and running, uh, I think, you know, I'm putting this out here now. By the time we get over to the end of the series, I propose that we do our series uh, review as a live stream. That'd be really cool. Do it as a live stream and maybe we can get some uh, some of the fans to come in and uh, chitty chat with us and we can have a bigger conversation about, you know, mm-hmm. what we liked about the show. Absolutely. That would be great. Um, that'd be great. It would be nice to figure out uh, some of our issues with being able to show snippets of content to... Uh, and yeah. to review we're using them for review purposes i suppose mr. if we mr disney <laughs> yeah we just got to um, be more uh don't sit there and watch it without saying anything you got to talk I, over I, it. I guess that's the point if we had a I running so. commentary perhaps or uh i've seen youtube tricks like uh garbling the sound every you know minute and a half a little bit or yeah. um regular pauses probably and then uh, even yep. inverting the screen and we'll just oh, yeah, take yeah, care of the arabesque for you <laughs> yeah yeah really <laughs> all right guys that's it for me once again it's uh fandom power presents the fan batch and uh my name is wes i'm andy hank and uh we'll see you on the next one same batch time same batch channel bye for now guys Hey guys, thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production.
Have you ever wanted to start a podcast, but you didn't know where to begin? Maybe you'd like to try podcasting without having to invest in any recording equipment. Do you have an idea for a show, but you're not sure how to develop it? Let Sawcast Productions take care of all of that so you can focus on what it is you want to say. Sawcast Productions offers podcasting solutions ranging from recording and basic editing to fully produced episodes complete with all the audio embellishments of a broadcast quality show. And when your show is ready, Sawcast Productions can distribute it too. Contact us online today. So, what do you want to say? <laughs>